turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, and we're gonna look, we're gonna blaze through the entire chapter, and then we're gonna zoom in on the older son at the very end. So if you were here last time, and if you weren't, it's fine, we'll catch you up. But if you were here last time, we spent a good bit of time on the first two parables in Luke chapter 15, and a little bit of time on the prodigal son, and now we're gonna look at what really is the main focus of the entire chapter, and that's actually the older brother. And so we'll get to that. I'll make my case. You can see if you think I'm right, uh, and we'll talk through that today. So Luke chapter 15. So in Luke chapter 15, let me give you the context. It begins in verse one, and it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. So there's one audience. We talked about that audience when we talked about the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, and then even some degree, the parable of the prodigal son. But then in verse two, it says, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So there's two audiences here in this context that Jesus is addressing as he's doing these parables. And remember the parable is the story that's tossed alongside to teach the principle that Jesus is wanting to teach. Sometimes one principle, sometimes based on context, multiple principles there. And so here he's addressing not only the tax collectors and the sinners, but he's also addressing these Pharisees and these scribes. Tax collectors and sinners, people who know that they're sinners, they know that they need salvation, they're probably wondering, can anybody save somebody as bad as me? That's one audience. The other audience, your Pharisees and your scribes, people who think, I probably don't need to be saved because I've kept all the law, I've memorized all the law, and so they're wondering, do I even need salvation, and who is this guy that thinks he's bringing salvation? Two entirely different audiences, and Jesus masterfully here addresses them both. Now, I'm gonna read a section. The section I wanna read is verses 25 through 32, so if you're able, I'm gonna ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word as we read Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and he asked him what these things mean. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command and you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, the son of yours came and devoured the property and the, with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Dear Lord, today, may you help us to look at your text. May your spirit convict us where we need to be convicted. Lord, may you tie my words to what your text actually says. Will you help us to see this clearly? And we ask this in Jesus' name so that he may be praised. Amen. And you may be seated. All right, Luke chapter 15. You've got words all throughout that tie this entire chapter together, so you can't really split it up and do it justice, although because of our time, 
you have to split it up in some ways to be able to get through it. So lost and found, 15.6, 15.9, 15.24, and 32. Rejoice and celebrate, 15, verse six, verse nine, verse 24, and 32. Repent is tied in as well in verse seven, verse 10, verse 18, verse 21, 24, and 32. So what's the main idea of the text? You'll remember last time, the main idea of the text that we focused on out of these first three portions, and you could do it out of all four portions, is that heaven celebrates when sinners repent. Heaven is excited about any sinner repenting. Today, the main idea that I wanna pose to you is really a question, and that question is, will you accept the Father's invitation? So perhaps as you're taking notes and you're writing this down, you wanna write it down, will I accept the Father's invitation? So what's the Father inviting you to? If you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're here and you haven't repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then the Father is inviting you to be saved, to repent of your own sin, put your faith in what Jesus has done on the cross and to be saved. If you're here and you are saved and perhaps you tend towards a legalistic bent, then the Father is inviting you to rejoice when sinners are saved. If you're here and you're standing outside because you're caught up in some legalism and that's kind of how you were raised and that's where you, where you lived, then the Father's inviting you to rejoice at the beauty of salvation. Perhaps you're sitting in this and you've, you've been in a good family and you've obeyed all your life and you think, I don't even need salvation. What is all this stuff about? I don't need to be saved from anything. My life's great. You don't understand or recognize your own sinful condition. The Father's inviting you to recognize that even the Pharisees are lost and sometimes even more lost than the sinners and the tax collectors. And he's inviting you to be saved. We'll look at this real briefly and our outline's gonna be the younger son's departure because some of you might not have been here. We wanna bring you up to speed. The father's welcome and then we're gonna dial in on the older brother's reaction. So those are gonna be our three ways that we look at this as we walk through this particular text. Look at what it says in chapter 15, verse three. He told him a parable. He tells him about a sheep. What man of you, if you have 100 sheep, lost one of them, he's gonna go after it. In verse five, it says, and when he's found it, he's gonna lay it on his shoulders, doesn't care about the weight, he's rejoicing, he's excited, he's happy. He comes home, he calls all his neighbors with him, he says, rejoice with me, for I have found a sheep that was lost. And then in verse seven, this is repeated throughout, it says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner repents than 99 people who need no repentance. Those perceived righteous people who need no repentance. Now, nobody is without the need of repentance, but there are some who don't recognize their need for repentance, then he moves to the parable of the lost coin. So you have 100 and you go from 100 down to 10. What woman of you having 10 silver coins, perhaps that wedding necklace or headdress loses one coin, you light a lamp, you sweep, you look diligently till you find it. When you find it, you call all your friends and notice the repetition, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Again, this is gonna pop back up again later on. Just so I tell you, there's more joy uh, before the angels of God over one sinner who repents, a repeated phrase here. And then he moves to the parable of the prodigal son, which this actually probably should be referred to as the parable of the forgiving father. But here, this parable of the prodigal son in verse 11, he says there was a man who had two sons. So notice in this, you go from 100 down to 10, and now you're down to two sons. Of the two sons, one of the two sons is gonna be lost. And so there is a zeroing in on the numbers and perhaps even 
dependent on the value of what's taking place here. But it begins with two sons. So often we focus only on the prodigal son who left, not on the pharisaical son who stayed. But the, but the parable here says there were two sons. So he's drawing this attention to a portion of his audience who the Pharisees and the scribes, and he's gonna tell them a story that's gonna pull them in. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me all you have. All right, I'm just gonna paraphrase. We read through that last time. The younger son basically says, Dad, I don't want a relationship with you. I would prefer if you were dead because I want all your stuff. So just treat me like you're dead. Give me all the stuff that's owed to me and I'll take it and I'll go away. He was the younger son, not the older son. So he gets one third of the stuff, not two thirds of the stuff. So he gives him one third of the stuff. It says he collected it all. Well, he would have owned things like sheep and land and all of this type stuff. So as he collected it all, he had to sell it we understand from sound business principles, you're not gonna make good money off of the resources if you have to sell things in a hurry. So he liquidated everything in a hurried fashion, gathered it all, and then it says he went to a far country. This prodigal goes to a far country and it says he squandered all of his wealth. And after he squandered all of his wealth on crazy living and doing things that were foolish, then a famine hit the land. So two things happened. He was foolish with his money. He spent it on frivolous matters. And then a famine hits the land. So all of those friends that he may have developed paying for all these things, they couldn't help him because there's a famine in the land. It's hard economic times. So then he has to hire himself out as a Jewish boy, hiring himself out to work with pigs. And he's actually looking at the things the pigs eat and he's saying, I think that looks good. I wish I could eat some of that. Now, just to refresh, in case you weren't here, we decided that would be like working at Chuck's in the dish pit and looking down into the trash can at all of the food that had been tossed in there and going, hmm, that apple looks a little appetizing. That's how far down he had gone. He was at the bottom. And as he's at the bottom... The text says to us that he came to his senses. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he thought. Now this is the guy that didn't want anything to do with the father. So he left and he came to his senses and he thought, my father's hired servants. The day laborers that stand outside looking to be hired, not the ones who even live in the house, but the ones who are the day laborers outside have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. So in verse 18, I'm gonna arise. I'm gonna go to my father. And he's rehearsing what he's gonna say. Can you imagine? This is a story, I get it, but put yourself in the picture. He's imagining there on the way back as he's sitting there with the pigs, perhaps, what would I say to my dad? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. No excuses. Not talking about what he did with the money. He's saying, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So treat me as one of your hired servants. It says he arose and he came to the father. This long journey. He's walking to the father. Do you think he's going over this in his mind? I know anytime I have a difficult conversation or something that's important, I'm always going over it in my mind. Okay, how am I gonna say this again? Okay, father. Do I pause after I say father? Do I not? Father, I have sinned against you in heaven or heaven in you. Which one should I put first? Father, I've sinned against, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. How's he gonna react to that? Is he gonna stone me? He could according to the law of the day. All of these nerves. He arose, he went to his father and then it says, but while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Underline that, felt compassion there. 
Because the word compassion is a word that's often used to refer to Jesus and how Jesus interacted with all of those who were lost. Even when Jesus on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. God understands that we in our sinful nature are bent to flee away from him. And as the father being represented here, Jesus says that this father had compassion. So what does the father do? Notice it here. He says he ran. Now men in this time didn't run. They would have had to pull up their, their, their skirt, their dress, their robe. As they pulled up their robe and as they started to run, it would not be dignified. Dignified men of this time did not run, but he saw his son. And when he saw his son, he had compassion and he ran to him. And when he ran to his son, look at what it says he did. He ran to him and then he says he embraced him. He grabbed him and he gave him one of these big hugs. This is a dad hug. This is not a I just met you hug. This is not a side hug because I'm not sure what our relationship is. This is not one of those bro hugs that gets a couple of pats and then back off really quickly. This is a dad hug. This is you're coming home after a long way away and dad grabs you and picks you up and bear hugs you so tight. And, and in that moment, you just know that you're loved and that you're cared for. This is the hug you'll get when you go home after the semester is over and you see dad and dad grabs you and says, give me a hug. This is the compassion of a father for those who are lost. This is the compassion of God almighty for every one of you and for all of those who are lost and wandering away from him in this world. He embraced him and he kissed him. And the language here gives the impression that it's a repeated kiss. He's kissing him. Now remember, where, where'd the son been? With the pigs, on a journey. The dad didn't look at him and go, oh man, you're filthy, go take a shower. Where have you, you don't even have shoes on your feet. What are you doing? Have you represented our family name like this? What's your problem? He doesn't look at him and say, Get your act together. He runs. He embraces. He kisses. This is Jesus telling a purposeful story to give us an indication of the Father's love for all of us. The Son, then in verse 21, he reacts and he says to him, What does he say? Father, this is rehearsed speech. I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your Son. Now, he doesn't finish it. Why doesn't he finish it? I don't, I don't know. The, the commentators speculate. We could spend some time speculating on why he didn't finish it. Perhaps he realized from the hug and from the kisses that his dad's gonna welcome him back. He's not gonna need to say he would be just like a hired servant. Uh, perhaps his father didn't give him time and he interrupts him and that's why, we don't know. Jesus is telling a story here and Jesus didn't think it was important to finish it and so Jesus didn't finish that portion of the story or the Holy Spirit didn't lead Luke to record that portion of the story, so it's not here. So he, he says to him, I'm no, worthy, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father then interjects and what does the father do? Bring the best robe. Who has the best robe? It's the father's robe. The father's robe is brought and put on the son. And then it says, put a ring on his hand because he has authority. Put shoes on his feet because he's being treated as a son. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let's eat and celebrate. So here you see the eat and celebrate again. Verse seven, 
More joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. Verse 10, the angels of God over one sinner who repents will have joy. And here you see that they are gonna rejoice in this particular time as well. Bring the fatted calf, let's eat and celebrate. Verse 24, for this my son, this is salvation language, was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but he's now found and they begin to celebrate. So you see it, you see the, you see the son running off, you see the son's rebellion, you see the father's welcome, and now we dive in and look at the older brother. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. He came and he drew near the house and he heard music. The word for music there is, is symphony. It's when all of, all of you that have all this incredible talent, which I have none of, get together and play all these instruments and you put it together and you're playing this music and it just sounds so good. And when you hear it and it sounds so good, people wanna rejoice, they wanna sing, they wanna dance, they wanna tap their foot, they wanna... Some of you are drummers in the audience and so you do all sorts of stuff out there and it's, it's just what we do, right? And so here there's music and dancing. The brother's in the field, the brother comes in and says, hey, what's going on? I live here. I, I don't know why they're having the party. What's the party all about? So he called to one of the servants and he asked the servant, what's happening? What does this mean? And the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him back safe and sound. It's a pretty decent summary. So how do you react? <gasps> My brother's home. So excited, my brother's home. Ah, you know, if that no good son of his comes back, he's already given him one third of everything. The other two thirds is supposed to be mine. Does that mean that he's gonna give him another one third later on and so what I get's gonna be less and what does this indicate for me and how... How should I think about this? I don't know that I'm happy the brother's back. I, I'm the good son. I, I'm the son that stayed. I'm not the son that left. I'm the son that's always here. I'm the son that's doing all these things to please the father. What, what's that no good, worthless brother of mine doing back? All right, how many of you are the firstborn in the room? You're the oldest, you're the oldest son. Raise those hands up good and high. Let me see how many. All right, how many of you have worthless siblings that just aren't as good as you? <laughs> Come on now, some of you are, some of you are raising your hands because you know it. That's at least what's inside your head. You may not want to raise your hand because somebody, now how many of you are the younger sons or the younger daughters in the room? You're the younger sibling. And how many of you know you've got it better than the older one did because they broke mom and dad in and I get away with everything? And some of you are willing to admit it. All right, how many of you in the room are rule followers and you don't break a rule because the possibility of breaking a rule causes your blood pressure to raise up and you begin getting anxious right now, raising your hand because some of you are such rule followers, you raised your hand before I even said raise your hand because you knew what was coming. Raise your hand, where are the rule followers? Yeah, you're there. How many of you hate every single rule that's ever been created and when they create a rule, I wanna break the rule just because it's a rule? You're there. <laughs> and in these personalities of these two brothers, 
what Jesus has masterfully done is he's just convicted all of us. You don't like the rules and you want to rebel and you want to run away and you're going to be a tax collector and a Pharisee. I'm going to do whatever I want. I want my stuff and I want it now. I don't care about a relationship with the Father. Just give me the good stuff. I want the good life. I want everything this world has to offer. And it ends up in a destination that is a pigsty with you realizing there is nothing better in this world than a relationship with the Father. And even the hired servants with the Father have it better off than you have it having your way with the world. The Father's invitation is come home. There's a compassionate Father waiting to give you a big hug and a big kiss. There's some of you. I've never done anything wrong. I have rules that keep me from ever getting close to the other rules. I make my own rules so that I don't even come close to the line of the real rules because that's how good I am. My paper's gotta be in by Friday. I have it done on Monday. <laughs> It'll sit on the shelf. Yes, I used to do this. This was me. I had my papers done in every semester a month ahead of time so that I could proof my own paper, so that I could read my paper and it would be like it was new to me. Oh, I wrote that? That was good. I didn't say that. That was bad. Let me get rid of that. Okay. You've written them so long ago for the class once you got the syllabus. I mean, the syllabus is like, get it done. I've got to do this for this semester. Okay, I got, I, if I work really hard this week, I'll be finished with everything that lies ahead. Is there anybody out there that has that crazy tendency? Like, nobody, I'm all alone. There's one, all right, yeah, two, three. Hey, I've got friends out here, all right. My wife is not like that, yeah. It's a good balance. It, and here what we see happening is those of us that have that tendency, those of us that might look down on somebody else and go, it's your fault, you procrastinated. You're staying up Thursday night till 2 a.m. I'm already, I'm watching a TV show. I'm already in bed. I have my workout. I'm really stressed going on because my papers have been done for months. You're pulling an all-nighter? It's your own fault. Slacker. Not that I'm calling all of you slackers that do this, but, but I really am. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> you had your syllabus way ahead. You got the books. You know exactly what's happening at finals time, right? You're smarter than I am. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. All right. Those of us that want to look down for whatever reason, what's Jesus saying to us here? Look at our text. The brother was angry and he refused to go in. So now who's the prodigal? Who's the one that no longer has the relationship with the father? The brother is angry and refuses to go in. So the father then comes out and entreats him, pleads with him, agonizes with him and says to him, come in. Verse 29, but he answered his father. And what does he say to his father? Look, these many years I have served you. I have served you as though I were your slave. Now, wait a second, time out. Is serving the father being a slave? 
If your relationship of serving the Father is being a slave before the Father, then that's a problem in and of itself because you've never recognized the love and the joy of serving the Father. And here the Son is saying, I've served you as though I were a slave for these many years. I have slaved away. I I have never disobeyed your command. Well, okay, we all know that's not true. Jesus has made it clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are some of us that in our minds justify our actions so that we don't think we need repentance. We don't think that we actually need forgiveness. We think we actually do everything right because we figure out a way to justify it because that's how smart we are. But at the end of the day, there's nobody that doesn't need forgiveness and repentance and there's nobody that has obeyed everything. And so I don't believe this here. I believe this is the older son's perspective, but it's not true. I never disobeyed your command. And look at what he says. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So the fatted calf A lot of work went into this, fattening up the calf, getting it just right. The young goat, the fatted calf would be like eating at at Texas Day Brazil. Give me more meat. This is good stuff. The goat, it's the double quarter pounder at McDonald's. The son has everything. The older brother, he's the older brother. It's two-thirds of it. If you're dividing everything up, two-thirds of the house is his. If the father's already divided it up, then the goats are his, the, the cattle, they're, they're his. I mean, the father's not gone yet, but he, he, uh, surely he had all of these type things with a generous and compassionate father who had compassion on the other son. I mean, surely this is not true either, but this is the perspective of the older brother. But when this son of yours came home, he doesn't call him his brother, he calls him the son of yours, and he says, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. Okay, time out. Where does he get that from? The early portion of the story, Jesus never said that he was with prostitutes. It said he had riotous living. It said he he did things like that. But how is it the older brother now has put into his mind the detail that he used the money and that he squandered the property and devoured the property with prostitutes? It was some commentators have said this was in the mind of the older brother. Some have said, well, he knew other things that were going on in the town. It's a small town, rumors fly. And, you know, the, the rumor mill, it's, it's kind of like Cedarville. I mean, you know everything that's going on about everybody before they finish their walk around the lake, right? And so, I mean, you see them from Chick-fil-A or, or Stinger or the SSC or wherever, and then it's tweeted out that they're dating, and then you've got them married by the time they make two laps. And so, she's <laughs> not, listen, singleness is a gift, Talk about that more later. Marriage is a good thing. Singleness is a gift. We're not, I'm I'm moving on. The rumors fly. So here's the deal. You wanna know how the older brother knew this? I can tell you. Because Jesus told the story and Jesus wanted the older brother to know this. It's Jesus' story. And for some reason, Jesus thought it was an important detail to put in there that the older brother added to what had happened. Is that because... The Pharisees and the scribes were making accusations against the tax collectors and the prostitutes, perhaps. Is that just because Jesus wanted us all to recognize that in our worst moments, we wanna give more grace to ourselves than we ever wanna give to others? We want our actions to be judged by infinite grace, but we wanna judge others' actions by infinite law, and we don't wanna give them any grace? Is that what's going on here? And so here he says to him, you killed the fatted calf for this kid. Verse 31, he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that I have 
is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother of yours is dead and is alive. He was lost and he was found. Now, what's the main point of chapter 15? In rules of writing a story, when you think about how you write story, you have importance on what comes at the very end. You have importance on direct dialogue between characters in a story that draws your attention to that story. It's like you're zooming over things and all of a sudden there's direct dialogue. That movie cinema is moving in on this conversation and this conversation is important and it wants you to pay attention to this story. In all of the other parables, you have resolution. You have a sheep that was found. You have a coin that was found. You have a brother that comes back. And here all of a sudden at the end of this story, they're waiting on the punchline and the punchline never comes. It was right to celebrate. Won't you come in and celebrate with me? Does the older brother ever come in? We don't know. Because there's an invitation that still stands in chapter 15 of Luke. So what's the point of this text? The point of this text is that it's not mainly about the Pharisees and the tax collectors, even though they're one audience and even though we like to point and focus on them. This parable is really for us. It's for the legalists. It's for those of us who think we're good enough that we don't need Christ, that we don't need to be saved. It's for those of us that push back against this because there are two brothers here and both brothers only wanted the father's stuff. They didn't want a relationship with the father. One sought to get it by righteous living. I'm gonna push away from your rules. I'm gonna go do whatever I wanna do. Give me all my stuff now. You're dead to me. And the other stayed home and said, I'm gonna abide by every rule you have. I'm gonna serve you as though I was a slave. I'm gonna do everything that you tell me to do, but really I don't care about you. I just want your stuff. You gave that brother of mine the fatted calf. You don't even give me a McDonald's cheeseburger. I want your stuff. And my fear is that there are some of you sitting here. I'm a good kid. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian university. I got an A in all my Bible classes. And when you graduate, life doesn't go exactly like you want it to go and all of a sudden you start thinking, yeah, I'm done with this thing. Did you ever really have a relationship with the father or did you just want his stuff? God is not your genie in a bottle promising you everything will go just right all throughout your life. God is God. And he is worthy of our worship whether he gives us everything we want or nothing we want. All right, I've got some final thoughts for you. Who's the prodigal? Is the prodigal the one that squanders everything or is the prodigal the one that thinks he needs nothing? The son who squandered it all recognized his sin, repented, and he's in the house celebrating. The legalistic brother who's doing all these things to check these boxes but doesn't have a relationship with the father is the one who's left outside. Listen, I want you to read your Bible every day. No Bible, no breakfast. I want you to do great in your Bible minor classes. I want you to learn everything you can about the Bible, but I want you to learn all of that so that you have affection for the Father, so that you have a relationship with the Father, so that you love the Lord more and the greatest joy in your life is to live for Jesus. I want that for you. I don't want a list that's got a bunch of checks because that's works-based salvation and that never saved anybody. Do you desire the Father's gifts more than you desire a relationship with the Father? I'm gonna do this Christianity thing because it, it feels like I'll get more stuff. 
people will respect me more. I get the added feature on the new car. I get the heated seats. I get the adaptive cruise control. This coat has an extra pocket I can stick my iPhone in because I'm a Christian. It's an added thing to what I already want in my life and that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is I lay it all down and I follow you. Here's my blank sheet of paper. I sign up for whatever you say go do, God. And if that means I get nothing in life, that's fine. If that means I lose my life, that's fine. Will we be a church of the elder brother or a church of the loving father? James Montgomery Boyce said it like this, quoting him. We are never so like God as when we rejoice at the salvation of sinners. We are never so like Satan as when we despise those who are thus converted and think ourselves superior to them. Can I just encourage you to recognize that all of us are lost sinners in need of a savior and that there's a world out there full of lost sinners in need of a savior? And lost people act like lost people because they're lost people. But there's a God that loves them and we have the good news and it's our job and our joy to take the good news to the world so that they too may experience the joy of the Father. Will you accept the Father's invitation? Dear Lord, if we need to respond to you with open arms, would you help us to do so? whether we are the rebellious son or the legalistic one. May we seek a relationship with you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.